RCBU. I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. Uh, hard to believe we're on our home stretch here. Uh, two weeks left before we are, as Trey said, worshiping on Sunday mornings, 1030 at Wilson Teaching and Learning Academy. I can't wait. Uh, the next couple weeks are going to be a little busy, but uh, it'll be worth it. Um, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if you're visiting with us tonight, welcome. Honor that you've chosen to worship with us tonight. Uh, this morning, I had the privilege to actually be here uh, at Memorial uh, during their normal worship service at 10.30 a.m. Uh, to, on behalf of our church, thank them for their generosity towards us over these almost three years. By the time, I don't know if you know this, but by the time we moved to Wilson Teaching and Learning Academy, we'll have been here almost three years, um, which is amazing. But that is a testament to Memorial and their kingdom-mindedness. And uh, this morning, I had the privilege to stand before their congregation uh, on your behalf and thank them for that. And so I just want to let you guys know about that, that we had an opportunity to just say thanks uh, to them uh, this morning. I want to tell you about my neighbor, Gary. Gary uh, was one of the very first people that we met in uh, our neighborhood whenever we moved into our home, which we've been there for about five years or so. Uh, Gary was in his 80s, and uh, just uh, he was just ready to, to connect with us and talk with us and kind of tell us a little bit about the neighborhood and what to be careful about, like what to watch out for, and uh, he became uh, very fast friends with our family. But here's the deal, Gary couldn't have been any more unlike anyone in our own family. He was older, uh, he was a gruff kind of guy, he was outspoken, old school uh, kind of dude, and yet we just found him to be someone that we really enjoyed connecting with, so much so that over the years that we lived there, uh, we would borrow tools from him, and I, he helped us fix our lawnmower, I don't know how many times, to get it working. Um, when we would have a fish fry out at my in-laws, we would always bring fish back to Gary. He loved the fish that my father-in-law cooked. Uh, and probably my most like memorable moment with him uh, was a, a time he came over and he said, Hey, I need your help. There is something that is dead in my boat. And we, I, I can't get it out. I, I just can't get up in there. I don't know what it is. And uh, me and Everett went over there to... Uh, to serve him in that, 
And sure enough, there was a dead animal uh, that was in that boat that had been there for a little while. It was not pretty, but uh, just a, a kind of, in retrospect, a funny moment, honestly, because it was so gross. Uh, it was so gross. But uh, Gary was a good man. Unfortunately, uh, Gary passed away uh, a couple of years ago, almost uh, to, the, to this month, to date. Um, and it's uh, really sad to, to have him not... Uh, be be there across the street. In fact, it's really interesting that we're talking about it this week because a new family has moved in to that very home this past week. And so now we're thinking, you know, we're going to need to do for them what Gary did for us. What comes to mind for you when you think about your neighborhood? What comes to mind when you think about your neighbors? Maybe you don't know them very well, or if you're honest, maybe you think that person across the street's a little weird, right? For many of us, it can be very tempting to keep our distance and sort of mind our business in our neighborhood, but I wonder if, is that how God really wants us to live where he's placed us to live? We are in our second to last sermon in our last sermon series here at Memorial, before we return back to uh, Wilson. And it's really hard for me to believe that we're that close already. But as we are getting ready to go there, as we've said many weeks before, uh, our, our conviction has been that, that there was something that the Lord wanted to prepare our hearts for as we think about moving back towards a part of our, our city that is in great need of the gospel. And one of the primary things that we felt that the Lord was asking of us in our move was to faithfully live out his great mission as a church there. But as we talked about it more, it really broadened and we said, what if it was an opportunity for us as we got ready to move back to Wilson to just sort of together say, what about the places where we live, work, and play as well? Not only worship, but live, work, and play. Last week, Um, Trey spoke to you about what it looks like for our faith and our work to be integrated. This week, I want to talk about another area that sometimes we we just tend to overlook, but it's one of the primary missional fields that the Lord has placed us in because we all have these people in our lives, and it's our neighbors, like our literal neighbors, the people that you live next to in your uh, neighborhood or apartment complex, wherever you may live. I want to invite you to see a couple of things as we look at this idea tonight. And the first is this. The mission in your neighborhood is the sharing of the reconciling gospel of Jesus. And secondly, the motivation for that mission in your neighborhood is the compelling love of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to uh, 2 Corinthians 5 that you heard Victoria read beginning, actually I want to look at beginning in verse 17. So look kind of maybe towards the middle part of that passage. Um, That's where I want to begin this evening. Paul is going to frame the mission that we have been given by saying this in verse 17. Let me just read that for us again. He says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So Paul frames the mission that God has given us by reminding us 
of what is true about our spiritual reality as Christians. See, God is in the business of recreating those who are found in him. And Paul is saying here that as God recreates us, we are becoming new. The old self and its sinful patterns are actually passing away. And this newness is what we call sanctification, which is just a big theological word that means the way that you and I grow in Christ over a lifetime. So that is what is true about you. If you have placed your faith and trust in God, God is in the work of recreating you. He's, he's renewing you. He's making you new. And your role in that is to cooperate with that, to participate in that sanctifying work that God is doing in and through Jesus. And the work we do is repentance and faith. Now, here's what's so cool about that. Paul is uh, not speaking abstractly here in this passage. He, he would have known this reality personally in his life. See, Jesus had made such a profound change in his life that Paul knew in his heart of hearts that if a man or a woman is found in Christ, they can experience the same kind of change that he did. Old things pass away. New things will come. And Paul is saying that God delights in saving people like Paul, who he described himself as the chief of sinners. But we see in the New Testament and the Old Testament, he's saving blasphemers and prostitutes and drunkards and tax collectors. He's saving sinners. There is a, a wideness in God's mercy that Paul himself had experienced so he's speaking and saying for personal experience, if anyone is in Christ like me, you will be a new creature, just like I am. What I have experienced, anyone in Christ can experience. Now there is one more thing I want you to see in these couple of verses before we move on. What Paul is saying here when he uses this phrase, new creation, is actually even more stunning than what I just told you. In the way that this would have been written and understood by the original hearers, Paul is also saying that when you become a Christian, you are being brought into a new creation as well. Are you with me? Okay, so he's saying, when you become a follower of Christ, you are being brought into a new age that has dawned in Christ. You are now a part of a new kingdom that has come and is coming. In other words, there's a whole other set of values that now define you, kingdom values. There's a whole other way of thinking now. You have a whole new purpose. It's God's purpose. And that purpose is what you have been now brought into as a Christian. What is your purpose? Well, it's nothing less than the restoration and redemption of sinful humanity, and ultimately the restoration of all things in the new heavens and the new earth. You've been called into that. Did you know that? What a privilege. So this is how Paul frames what he's getting ready to tell us as it relates to what we're talking about tonight, what it means for us to be on mission in particular in our neighborhood. So look with me if you would, beginning in verse 18. Here's what Paul continues to say. Here's really what he's going to say that this means if you're a new creation. Let me read it again. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, don't miss this, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses, or excuse me, their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, to you, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So Paul says that because of his work, of God's work in us, God is also calling us to a work outside of us. He's calling us to a, a work that, that is what we call here at Mercy View, missional living. In other words, Paul is saying that wherever a Christian is located, they have been given a unique mission to join God in his work, which is what, what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation, which means that you and I have been called into this work that God is doing in the world to see others be reconciled to God in the same way that you and I have as well. In other words, what we have received in Christ, reconciliation with God, now becomes our ministry with and to others. Are you with me? And Paul uses this word to describe what we are as we do this work. Did you catch that? We are ambassadors. What is an ambassador? Well, an ambassador is, is uh, someone typically who is sent from one nation to another nation, and the, the host nation that, that receives the sending nation, the sending nation tells the host nation what the, the, the sending nation wanted to communicate, whatever that, that is. What, what that nation says, the sending nation, they say, right, to the host nation. And Paul says, that's true of us as Christians because you and I are ambassadors of a new country, we have a message of reconciliation that we are called to share with those in this, this uh, country that we, we live in, all right? Now, our purpose, and what Paul is saying here then, is, is to make his appeal to others, to declare what he has declared, to say what he has done, to live out what he has done in the midst of this world that we live in. And what is that appeal? The same one that we just said, that you can be a new creation, just like me. You can be forgiven. You can be redeemed. You can be restored. You can get, get that new life now and for eternity. That's the appeal that God wants to make through us. That is the message of reconciliation that you and I make as ambassadors in this ministry of reconciliation. This brings me to the first thing I want to invite you to see this evening, and it's this. The mission in your life, wherever the Lord has placed you, and as we think about where you live tonight, we could say it this way, the mission in your neighborhood is the sharing of that message of reconciliation, the reconciling gospel of Jesus. Now, it may seem that I took a leap there because Paul isn't necessarily talking about your neighborhood here. And that's fair. 
But remember what we said at the top of our time even tonight. God wants us to live out his mission, which here in this passage, the mission, the way we could describe it is this ministry of reconciliation. He wants us to live that out wherever we are, right? He wants us to live that out in the place where we worship. So as we think about our move to Wilson, uh, we need to be thinking strategically about the ways in which God wants us to see the ministry, the message of reconciliation to come to bear on that part of our city. But also, we are called to live out this mission, this ministry of reconciliation where we, where we work. So we talked about last week. And you've heard me say we, 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 we live out this mission in the places where we play as well. In other words, the spots where we, we have fun and hang out and, and enjoy our hobbies or, you know, whatever we do in our leisure time or free time. God wants us to live out our mission there as well. But tonight I want us to think about a context that every single one of us is a part of. And it absolutely is included in this idea of living out the ministry of reconciliation. And that is where you live. And friends, we, we have to embrace that reality if we're going to be faithful ambassadors in every spot that God has placed us. Here's the deal. We don't get to say, well, I'm going to be an ambassador of, of this message of reconciliation um, you know, in the place where we worship and that part of our city, but I'm going to sort of like the other places in my life where I'm, where I live, where I work, where I play, I'm going to, I'm going to, that's off limits. I'm not, I'm not going to bring my faith to bear in those spaces. We've not been given permission to do that. We have been called to live out the mission of God in every place that God puts us in including where we live. We have to see our neighbors as those whom God has placed next to us so that we can be witnesses to, of the gospel to them. I wonder if you've ever thought about this, like some of this fits in the category for me of just like the sovereignty of God, uh, the providence of God, but like, God, why did you place our family in this house, you know, five years ago, uh, in this part of our city, um, rather than another part of our city, in another neighborhood. I believe that it was uh, an Acts 17 kind of thing, where, where Paul says that God sets the boundaries of our lives. And I think he does that for, for all of us where we live. It is not by chance you live somewhere without this being true. Uh, you've been placed there strategically to, to, to live out the ministry of reconciliation. There was a book uh, that came out a few years ago written by a couple of Christians called The Art of Neighboring. And in it, the authors talked about really our theme today, uh, bringing the good news of the gospel to bear to our actual neighbors that we live next to. And this is what they, they said in their book. They said that their goal in writing the book was to inspire and equip believers to become neighborhood catalysts that move themselves and others from strangers to acquaintances to friends. And in it, they said that there are really two main barriers that we all struggle with when it comes to moving through that, that pattern, and it's time and it's fear. Uh, we've actually talked about fear a lot in this series because that seems to be a, a common emotion that we feel as we're engaging in the mission of God. But let, let's talk about these both just for a moment. First time. 
In order for us to be ambassadors of of reconciliation to our actual neighbors, um, we are going to have to create space in our lives to build relationships with those who live near us. The reality is, though, is that that idea of, of creating space, it typically falls pretty low on our list of priorities. Is that fair? Right? All too often, our homes are the places where our where we're with our families, right? It's where we sleep. It's where we keep our, our stuff. Uh, you may recognize your, your neighbor's face. You may give them the complimentary wave as you see them in front of their homes or as they're walking in the neighborhood. But, but do you really know them? Like, do you know their names? Do you know what's going on with them? Do, do you know what their goals in, in life are, their dreams, their hopes? What is that, that God has made special about them? Do you know the answers to those questions? I think if, if I, and I'm preaching to myself tonight, but, but when we say I don't have time to get to know my neighbor, what we are really saying is my time is more important than getting to know my neighbor. And here's why we say that. We see our lives as more important than them. And most of us, we, we really think we're too busy for that kind of work. I know I feel that way. There is always something else that can be done or something that always seems more important to do than to get to know my neighbors. I think this, we think, I'll get to it someday when things have settled down. Um, Everybody lives like this. Everybody's busy. It's not a big deal. They're not offended that I don't know them, right? In the life that you've always wanted, author John Ortberg says that the reason that hurrying and busyness is so dangerous is because love and hurry are not compatible. Why? Because love always takes time. And time is not something that you and I like to give away very easily. Time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. So the question as we wrestle with the issue of time, I think that that we need to think about tonight is, do we live at a pace that allows us to be available to those who live around us. The second thing that is a barrier for us in in being an ambassador of Jesus in our our neighborhoods is something, again, that we've talked about often in this series, and that is fear. In many ways, neighboring is a lot scarier than going downtown to serve with John 3.16 or even going on a global mission trip. And those can be dangerous depending on where you go. Why? Why? Why do we feel that way, though? Because your neighbors are always going to be there. You don't really know them. You might have opinions about them from afar. You may see things even on the television and hear about the brokenness in our world, and it begins to shape your worldview or your view of others. And that can lead to us really ending up creating safe environments for us and our families. Now, I'm not advocating for a lack of wisdom here an open door policy in your, in your home where anybody can come in and out. But, but we often default to thinking this, good fences make good neighbors. When, when that is lived out, that leads to isolation from the very people that God has called us to be present with in our neighborhoods. So what you're going to find if you begin to create space and time for this you will be confronted by many things in your own life, how you spend your money, how you spend your time. It will confront many of your fears. But it, it will be 
worth it because the work that we've been given to share the message of reconciliation with others becomes the, 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 the motivation. It becomes the, the reason for connecting with them. We want them to come to know Jesus, right? And so really in the process, we ask the Lord to help us, to help us trust him in the midst of what may be discomforting for us. Now, I want to drill down just a little bit here because um, there are a lot of inner objections, I think, to neighboring. Some of these are, are, are questions I want to ask of you. Some of them are suggestions that I, I think might help us as we just continue to wrestle with this idea tonight. How long have you lived in your neighborhood? Like, that's a good first question. Our family has lived in our neighborhood about five, six years. Do you feel that you've done a, a good job of getting to know your neighbors? Um, do you currently live at a pace that allows you to be present in your neighborhood to connect with your neighbors? If not, what would happen if, if you made it a point to know and befriend the, the people that live just right around you in, in, in your kind of sphere there, the, the houses, uh, you know, in the front and back and to the sides of you, those, just, just those four neighbors. In that book I mentioned earlier, The Art of Neighboring, they have a, a little map that you can fill out that, that uh, you start to fill out people's names and, and you sort of categorize them as someone who is a, a stranger, maybe they're an acquaintance, maybe they're a friend. And what you do with that is you begin to spend time praying for those people, like in your own quiet time, and ask the Lord to like direct your path to help you overcome any fears that you're feeling and, and begin to connect with them. Another idea would be just to take a prayer walk in your neighborhood at maybe different times of the day and just see what happens, see who you meet. I remember whenever uh, COVID was kind of first happening and 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 we were walking, um, our, uh, Holly and I often outside just to get out of the house and um, we met so many neighbors that um, we just, we wouldn't have met otherwise. And it just was because we were walking um, during the day. I wonder if, if this is a helpful idea. Imagine yourself with the, with the time it would take to be a, a great neighbor. Like what are the things that you might need to consider sacrificing to make that a reality? Like would it be worth it? What, what could change in your life or in your neighborhood because of your faithfulness in that? How can you leverage the cultural significance of certain months in your neighborhood to meet and get to know your neighbors? Things like the 4th of July or Halloween or even the Christmas season. What are some steps you can do to connect with your neighbors in that way? This is super practical. What would it look like to join the the, the neighborhood on next door that you're a part of. Now, I know next door is a lot of, hey, my pet is missing stuff, but like um, you, can, you can actually also have meaningful conversations in other ways, and uh, you can just follow the people that are in your neighborhood. It's a great way to connect with your neighbors. Again, the mission in your neighborhood that God has given you, because the mission of God is something we're supposed to live out everywhere in our lives, is that reconciling gospel of Jesus. So the purpose of developing relationships with your neighbors isn't only to just display the gospel indeed, to be a nice neighbor, to wave at them occasionally, but it's get to get to know them and pray that the Lord would create opportunities for you to have spiritual conversations with them so that you can share the gospel with them with your words. When Paul says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, don't miss that he says the ministry of reconciliation is sharing the message of reconciliation. The message means the words of reconciliation. 
The Bible says faith comes by hearing. So as we move towards people with spiritual conversations, we're, we're asking good questions to cross that bridge to Jesus. The evangelism tool that we talked about with you last week, there's an appendix that's a part of that, that there are a bunch of questions that are great sort of icebreaker questions, opportunities to connect with uh, your neighbors or really anyone in your life to know how we can best um, maybe have the gospel come to bear on their lives. Things like what kind of exposure did you have to religion when you were growing up? Based on your understanding, how does someone become a Christian? Have you ever been able to get a handle on what you think your purpose in life is? What conclusions have you come to concerning life after death? What criteria do you use to determine whether something is true? Everyone seems to agree that money by itself can't buy happiness. So what, in your opinion, guarantees a, a happy life? Those are some of the questions I pulled out just today that are just, those should not be questions that anyone is necessarily offended by. Some might be. But great ways to begin to connect with people. And really what you're doing is you're, 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 ha you're not having a surface conversation with them when you have these kind of, uh, of questions, right? Surface is fine for a little while, but eventually for us to have real conversations with people, spiritual conversations, we've got to move down another, another level. Because ultimately what we're trying to do is to figure out how their story finds its place in his story, Right? We talked about the gospel story a few weeks ago, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We're trying to help them see where their story fits into that story. And for many of our unbelieving neighbors, redemption, that's the part that they need. The mission in your neighborhood is the sharing of the reconciling gospel of Jesus. All right, let's, let's end here tonight. Look back with me, if you would, beginning at verse 14. This is where we started reading earlier here's what it says again look there for the love of christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised now these are the words that actually precede paul's call to us to be ambassadors of God's reconciling grace to those around us, including our neighbors. Paul is helping us see something really important here. The fuel in your mission to see that grace come to bear on those that you are next to in mission uh, is the love of Christ. And that brings me to the second thing I want to invite you to see this evening. The motivation... For the mission that you've been given, wherever you are placed, but tonight in light of our conversation in your neighborhood, is the compelling love of Jesus. And in at the ESV um, that you heard read earlier, it says that, that uh, the love of Christ controls us. Um, I grew up reading and, and uh, memorizing the, the NIV, and it, in that uh, translation it says that the love of Christ compels us. Uh, so both of those words are doing the same work. Christ is our guiding and motivating principle in mission. See, when Paul says, for the love of Christ, he's not talking about his love for Christ. He's talking about Christ's love for him because he follows up by saying, we have concluded this, that one, Jesus, has died for all. In other words, 
It is the love of Christ in the death of Christ that overwhelms Paul. Paul is not overwhelmed with his own love for Christ. He's not saying that he's driven by his own love for Christ. Paul is saying that he is driven out on mission because of his gratitude for Christ's love for him. That, that compels him, it controls him to be an ambassador of God's reconciling love to others. That's it. That word control or, or compel here is a word that, that means a pressure that causes action. That's the simplest meaning. So out of gratitude for the love of Christ, Paul wants to give him, Christ, back everything that he has to offer. And I want to, he's saying, I want to give back my life and my ministry to you, God, as an act of worship. Or said another way, Paul's ministry is how he expresses gratitude for the love that Christ has extended to him. Are you with me on that? That's a very important kind of distinction. Paul's ministry is how he expresses gratitude for the love that Christ has shown him. His life was literally pressured by the powerful gratitude that he felt for the Lord's love for him. And friends, that is our call too. It is the love of Christ that compels us to know our neighbors, to serve our neighbors, and to see if God would be so gracious, our neighbors to personally experience the reconciling love of God. So the question really, I think, for me, for us tonight is, have we experienced that love of Christ? Paul is saying that once you have, you can't help but be compelled to share that with other people. So if in our lives we could look and say, man, I don't really have a lot of motivation to do that, we need to go to the step before that question, right? Have we, are we experiencing the love of Christ Here's what the love of Christ looks like. In Galatians 2, beginning in verse 20, Paul says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. You remember that Jesus himself said, no one takes my life from me. I, I lay it down by myself. Friends, Jesus loved you so much that he gave himself up for you. He died in your place for your sins so that you could escape the justice and the wrath of God. And in our passage today, we see that that idea so overwhelmed Paul that the Lord would love him with an eternal love that could never be severed, could never be changed. And it caused him to be pushed out, moved out from sort of a gospel that terminates on itself, but rather a gospel that had to get out from him to those around him. Have you been overwhelmed by the love of Christ like that? Friends, the only way that you and I can live out the mission of God wherever he has placed us, especially in our neighborhoods, in a sustained and an ongoing way is to 
continually return to the overwhelming reality of the immense love that Jesus has for you. Long before you were born, he bore your sins. And it is now by grace that you are saved. He was made sin, Jesus, for you, that you might now be made the righteousness of God in him. If you're here tonight and you would say, Brad, this is new news to me, but this is good news to me. I want to ask that you would place your faith and trust in Jesus. The, The reality of of the love of God for you is something that you can experience tonight by just simply saying, Lord, I I confess my sin to you. I believe in you. Would you save me? Would you forgive me? I want to follow you, make you the Lord of my life. Don't leave here tonight without doing business with the Lord on that. Many of us tonight, though, when we are asked the question, are we experiencing this kind of love of Christ? We, we, we probably would say, not like I know that I should. But friends, the kind of love that Jesus has for you, the incomprehensible, the voluntary, the unbreakable love, he gives it to you. He wants you to know it. He wants you to experience it and to feel it and to get it into your heart. Because he also wants that same love to be the kind of love that compels and controls and constrains you to live your life to his glory, to his praise, which includes wanting others to experience that same kind of love. See, Paul saw people really in two categories, those who knew Jesus and those who did not. And he says, I was one whom the love of Christ plucked up out of the waters of judgment. So now, his love for other perishing people controls the agenda of my life. Friends, if you really believe the gospel, if you really have experienced the love of Jesus, it will forever change your life. You can never see other people or or even your own life the same again because you'll begin to see that God has placed you strategically where you live, where you work, where you play, where you worship to be an ambassador of reconciliation, helping others see that they can be reconciled to God through the love of God. And yes, even in your neighborhood. God wants the love of Christ that you have experienced to get out from you to those around you, even your neighbors. So have you been overwhelmed by the love of Christ? If so, let's give that same love away to our neighbors. The love of Christ compels us. Let's pray together.